Hello and welcome to Double Stint at Le Mans, a special edition of Double Stint brought to you by Sports Car 365, bringing you daily coverage of all the action at the Circuit de la Sarthe leading up to Sports Car Racing's greatest event, the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 reporter Daniel Lloyd, who's been on the ground at Le Mans. Daniel, how's the atmosphere been today now that things are getting serious? Yeah, it's really good, Jonathan. Yeah, the, the atmosphere is ramping up some um, more familiar spaces in the paddock, let's say, from other corners of motorsport. Um, yeah, really, really building up to that sort of climax of the weekend where we get the, the pre-race preparations underway. Um, plenty of track running today as well, so lots of interesting data gathered, I'm sure. Um, some news as well. Um, yeah, it, it was really sort of the the start of Le Mans race week, it felt like, because you sort of get the, the first two days of scrutineering and then the test day is almost feels like a bit of a different event because you have a bit of a lull in between a couple of quieter days where the track really isn't very busy, but now the fans are coming in and the guests are coming in um, and it's really starting to feel like the, the, the big Le Mans atmosphere that we all know and love. Well, this week is all about Le Mans, but you can still find recaps and news about everything happening in the sports car racing world over on sportscar365.com. Today, though, we'll bring you a recap of practice and qualifying and take a look at some of the storylines we're following this week. We'll give you a preview of what's coming up this week at Le Mans as well. And let's start with the Pit Stop Challenge, really the first winners of Le Mans, the number eight Toyota uh, and their pit crew won with a 10.1 second pit stop. Really just a, a fun little activity for some of the fans. Uh, on and off day yeah that, that was uh, that was part of Tuesday's action and and with with no track running on Tuesday it was sort of a good opportunity to do something different and um, this sort of thing we've seen it at the Indy 500 before uh, I think I think NASCAR's done it probably um but yeah no in in uh, Le Mans terms this was a first and it was a good chance for the some of the pit crews to show themselves and shine and actually they got a chance to spray some champagne on the on the big podium so um yeah a nice little novelty to sort of um, tied us over until we got into today's track action but um yeah uh, today there was lots of track running um we we've actually at the time of recording we're we're still yet to complete it all because we had one practice session uh, then the one hour qualifying uh, and then we've got night practice yet to come but uh, the full recap of that will be on sports car 365 but um plenty of opportunities for people to uh sort of understand the track a bit better how the conditions are are evolving but also plenty of chances for people to get it wrong Absolutely. And we'll talk more about understanding the track later because we finally got some wet running during qualifying. But let's lead off talking about practice. It was the number eight Toyota and Brendan Hartley right at the end uh, with 20 minutes left that denied Glickenhaus uh, the chance to set the pace with both their cars out front. But Glickenhaus looks genuinely quick. We talked about it on the last episode, but if you're quick at Spa, you tend to be quick at Le Mans. And uh, Glickenhaus has certainly transferred over a lot of that pace. Yeah, they've they've certainly given us a, a few things to be thinking about. Um, they they haven't really let up toward the top of the timing sheets. Um, the extent to which they're going to be able to challenge um, Toyota over consistent race pace is going to be another question. But no, for sure, Glickenhaus have really been um, impressive so far in Le Mans week. They've they've been keeping their head down as um, was exactly what Jim Glickenhaus had said to me earlier in 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 the event and and just kind of getting on with it and pushing along. So, um, yeah, to see them run it, running up there in free practice one with uh, uh, Frank Mayer going second overall. Okay, it was a half-second gap to Brendan Hartley, but they were um, they, they they were up there. They, they, they were showing their hand with the non-hybrid 007 LMH and, and showing that it can go 
um, pretty quickly around this circuit. Obviously, times have subsequently come down and we're starting to get the Toyotas eking out a bit of a gap, but uh, encouraging, I'd say, from the Glickenhauses to start with um, in that practice session. But yeah, as you said, it was Hartley who um, denied Glickenhauser 1-2. Um, his time of 3.29.441 coming behind the wheel of the number eight Toyota. Um, and uh, so it, it was... In, in the end, Glickenhaus unable to get to the top spot, but it seems to have been those two manufacturers um, really trading the positions at the top of the times. Alpine, um, fifth in class, ending the session behind LMP2s. Again, they seem to um, be struggling with top-end speed somehow as a, uh, in complete contrast to the Glickenhaus. So um, we spoke to a couple of drivers after the test day, and that was their main concern. And uh, we we haven't had any uh, balance of performance adjustments in hypercar. So... Um, We'll see again how that translates into the race, but uh, certainly there seems to be a trend forming in some of the sessions so far. Um, but yeah, practice was interesting. Um, we had a few incidents uh, throughout the session and, and probably the biggest accident so far that we've had infected the number 45 Algarve Pro Racing Orica, um, which ended up in the barriers at the Motul Chicane in, in the closing minutes of the second uh, closing minutes of the session after a crash for Stephen Thomas. Um, Algo Pro actually bringing in a spare chassis uh, for that just to just to make sure I think is is if you've got it on site then uh, the options there to use it you might as well but that was sort of the biggest incident we've seen so far I saw Stephen uh, in the paddock afterwards looking uh, he, he was absolutely fine but I think he was just a bit uh, upset for the team that uh, the accident had happened but um, yeah, no, nonetheless uh, free practice for the cars in the top categories seemed to go quite well but then uh, in qualifying we had a few things to think about in hypercar. You talked about a lot of work to do after that crash, bringing in a spare chassis. Another team uh, that had a lot of work to do in practice was the number 51 crew of the AF Corsa Ferrari. They swapped out the engine and only ended up getting four laps of uh, really just data collection at the end of the session. It was uh, looking like they may not even get to run until qualifying, but we know with this practice session just a couple hours before the the one-hour quali, uh, it was really important that they, they got out there at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's such an important session. And, and when you've got all of that track time there, it's it, it's vital to be out there. And, and I think one of the important things for Ferrari was that because it was uh, that there had been a balance of performance change in GTE just before uh, sort of on the, on the morning of the, the, the start of race week at track action. So um, that was sort of their chance to to get their feel with one of the key cars, the, the defending winning car. Um, the 51 crew so um, to see them have such limited track time was was tough for Ferrari to take but uh, but I think if it's going to happen it's best that it happens early in the race week but um, yeah I went down to Ferrari and tried to see if there was sort of any reason for the engine change or if it was related to the BOP and I couldn't get an answer so um, we'll see what the uh, effect is as, as the sessions move along particularly into night practice um, but yeah, the uh, Ferraris in, in a BOP update earlier today, which is one of the sort of main news items to come from uh, Wednesday at the paddock, was they've had reductions in a couple of parameters in uh, fuel capacity, um, minus three litres for their maximum fuel tank uh, uh, allowance, and then uh, also a, a reduction in turbo boost pressure across the full range. Um, slightly different numbers between the um, uh, Pro and AM cars, but nonetheless, it's still a reduction. And so... Um, interesting to see how that will affect the Ferraris going forward. Um, they also had their rear wing angle uh, changed quite drastically. And there was also a change for the GTE Pro Porsches to, to and sorry, all of the Porsches uh, to round off the changes. So 
um, Ferrari have been sort of in the thick of it. I, I heard they were they were in a meeting with the uh, FIA and ACO until three in the morning, trying to sort of deliberate how things would go in 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 the BOP and kind of get some understanding there. And uh, we soon sort of realised the outcome of that uh, in today's bulletin. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, missing a lot of the session. Not not what you want to be doing at Le Mans at such a typical track where obviously you can't do any private testing beforehand. Absolutely. And especially with the way the schedule is set up this year, as we said, qualifying just a couple hours after practice, it's really tough to be coming into an important session like that, that, you know, sets the lineups for hyperpole. Coming in off the back foot is not an easy task. And, and with that, let's move into talking about qualifying. It was a one hour session. The top six from each class move on to the hyperpole session tomorrow. The number seven Toyota led overall. They set a three minute 37.247 second lap. Uh, but again, Glickenhaus was not far off, just just a shade over a tenth behind. Uh, and Kamui Kobayashi, though, again, showing his incredible qualifying pace at Le Mans. Yeah, it's um, there's only one man you want behind the wheel of of a Toyota or any car. I think for that matter, when it comes to qualifying at this place, yeah, Kamu Kobayashi, who's the um, reigning pole sitter, and you got to say odds on favourite for going all the way in hyperpole, um, getting to the top of the timing charts in the number seven Toyota, and and that and this was the, the session where the times really showed themselves, and uh, the Toyotas and the Glickenhauses both getting into the low three minute twenty sevens. Um, but yeah, impressive from the number 708 Glickenhaus, Roman Dumas coming in with a 327-355, quickest overall in the first and third sectors. So, you know, that there's there's plenty to play for, it seems, heading into the uh, crucial uh, grid-deciding, pole-deciding session tomorrow. Um, Alpine further away, though, uh, 2.4 seconds off the pace. And, and if we're going to take their test day and uh, free practice runs by gospel, then it, it's sort of proved itself perhaps in in, in uh, qualifying to an extent so um wonder if that will come down any further in the main qualifying session we will see um but there was a bit of a problem for the number eight toyota they uh ended up um, not really posting a representative lap time at all um there, there was some trouble early in the session um the, the in the first part of it the the team had the car in the garage and they were addressing an issue on the right rear corner i'm not entirely sure what that is specifically at the time of recording um and then by the time hartley went out to uh, go and set a lap time there was a, a red flag after a, an accident for michael fassbender in the number 93 proton porsche so um and then there were some rains. So, so really, the number eight car just had a complete dud of a session. Um, but that's not necessarily a worry. The only thing is they wouldn't have put down a, a proper sort of low fuel um, qualifying replication lap in. But because, as you said, Jonathan, the top six go through to Hyperpole um, and there's only five cars in the Hypercar class, they're guaranteed a spot in it anyway. So not the end of the world. But um, as we mentioned for the Ferrari, it's, you know, if you have anything go wrong in any session at Le Mans, it's, is going to set you on the back foot somewhat. But uh, yeah, that was the story in Hypercar. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that big crash by Michael Fassbender, kind of losing it on his own. Looked like he locked the rear brakes uh, heading into the first chicane along the Molson Strait. A big accident. He was okay. Um, but it kind of set off a, a crazy chain of events, a longer red flag session that delayed the end of qualifying, uh, which is why at the time of recording, we're, we're butted up right against the end of the session, which is kind of exciting because we're, we're unpacking this live with you. But as we said, Michael Fassbender was fine. It, rain started to fall as the cars got back out on track. And because the number eight hadn't really set a representative lap time, it looked like for them it was 
going to kind of be a, a one-and-done type of deal where they'd get an outlap, one flyer, and that was it. And it turned out to not even be the case. The rain interrupted that time period. But they still, as you said, set a time uh, and then elected to stay out a little bit and do some wet weather running. There weren't a ton of cars that decided to do that at the end, a couple P2s. And uh, the number eight Toyota was the only uh, hypercar that ended up doing some wet running. Glickenhaus, though, interestingly, Jim Glickenhaus was saying, yeah, we're, we're comfortable with where we are. We know how we run in the wet. We're good. Uh, we'll see you all tomorrow for a hyperpole. So they seem very, very confident. But uh, yeah, it, it was an interesting one right at the end there. It was a really tame first 30 minutes and, and quite a hectic closing 30 minutes. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you say Glickenhaus would be confident of where they are in the wet. I'm, I'm not too sure because they haven't done too much running um, in the wet with that car. And I know at Spa, they um, they they had sort of a, a mistake on on uh, tire choice. Well, I say mistake, it was sort of related to a misheard radio call, but um, wet weather in that car, because we didn't really have much wet running last year, apart from like the first hour and a bit of Le Mans, um, meant that they didn't really get much time running that car in adverse conditions. So if, if I was in Glickenhaus, I'd probably be wanting the conditions to be as predictable as possible based on what they've previously run in. Um, I know they got a taste for it at Spa, but you know, a, a wet Le Mans, when you're coming up against a hybrid powered Toyota and a team with so much experience in that weather, they, they, they might uh, put, put the facade on perhaps that it's all going to be okay. But, but really, I think they'll be um, wanting the, the, the skies to, to hold off and be a bit more forgiving. But um, in the other categories, um, just to sort of round off a bit, we saw uh, the top six set in uh, LMP2, GTE Pro and GTE Am, all of which um, with more than six cars meant that we had some eliminations. Well, not sort of eliminations, but people who didn't make the cut. There were cars on the bubble, which is always exciting. Um, in GTE Am, it was uh, an Aston Martin that led the way, Nicky Team. Um, going almost a second clear at the top of the pile, which um, just sort of shows his credentials as a, a world endurance champion and uh, Kessel Racing, AF Courses 54 car, the Vistajet car, uh, the Iron Dames, uh, Dempsey Proton Racing and the 61 AF Corsa car of Vincent Abril made it through into the Hyperpole session. Uh, and in pro, the only one not to make it was the Riley Motorsports Ferrari, um, the only privateer entry in the class. Uh, and then up uh, LMP2, um, Huge grid there, 27 cars. We didn't see all of them in the session because there were some issues to note, um, especially Algarve Pro missing it due to the chassis change. But uh, WRT getting both of their full season cars in from the World Endurance Championship, Jota's number 38 car, both United Autosports cars and Prema. Not really unexpected, to be honest, when you consider both the uh, the, the driving talent and the um, teams that play there. So um, it's all really set up for a, a fantastic hyperpole shootout. Um, each, uh, each entry in each class gets two sets of tyres as well, and it's basically just get out there and set the fastest time possible. It's, uh, it, it's how it should be done. I love it. Yeah, that certainly will be exciting to watch tomorrow. As you said, everybody who's a who's who is pretty much in the session, and everyone that should be there pretty much had made it. So we'll look forward to that tomorrow. With that, let's move into talking about some of the storylines and, and the news of the week. Let's start with talking about Porsche. Davey ended up speaking to Porsche about overcoming some of their test day issues. And uh, boy, setting the pace in the quality session certainly seemed like a nice way to turn it around, at least for the 92 car. Yeah, there was, uh, I suppose, a little bit of disappointment at how the d test day went for Porsche with some of their issues. Um, the the 92 car had a, had a broken drive shaft. Um, you can read the full reasoning for it on Sportscar 365. We spoke to the uh, lead performance engineer from the factory GTE Pro Porsche team. But they they seemed to be in a position uh, before the sessions that they were happy with where they were and that they would be um, able to tackle the race weekend with without 
the worry of thinking back to the test day. Okay, they lost a bit of running at the test day, but um, I think they can overcome that. And they certainly seem to have been able to by getting some consistent lappery in. And as you said, Jonathan, top in the qualifying session um, sort of proves that really, yeah, Porsche's uh, well over this now and, and they're looking well ahead into race week and trying to uh, uh, overturn the, the poor run of form at Le Mans. Let's, let's call it all sort of the, the lack of winning at Le Mans for the 911 RSR 19 model. And while Davey spoke to Porsche, Dan, I understand that you spoke to Ferrari and have an LMH update. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, there's pl- plenty of uh, manufacturer bosses all around the paddock today. So, yeah, I took a chance to speak to uh, Antonella Coletta, who's uh, the head of Ferrari's sports car racing department, just to uh, kind of see where they're at and ask if there's going to be an announcement at some point this week. We've heard all sorts, but um, that remains to be seen. Um what he did say in an update for us, though, um, yeah, car seems to be, or at least the schedule for the rollout is is all good and normal. It's sort of mid-July-ish as anticipated, so no real news there. But um, some other interesting bits, he said that they're pretty tight for time heading into the second half of the year. Um, supply chain issues have been affecting some parts, particularly electronics and aluminium parts. Um, he, he even said that, you know, they wouldn't mind considering um delaying their uh debut behind one race um the 2023 calendar isn't actually out yet but the expectation is that we'll start once again at super sebring um however for ferrari you know you have to for a european team coming over you have to factor in freight and and that sort of extra lead time might be uh, they might not get there in time for it and i think that's that's not necessarily a a way of them saying oh god we're we're you know off off the mark here we're we're really delayed i think it's just them being realistic that like oh well if we're not ready then we can't do it so um certainly we'll have to see uh if ferrari can uh get the car rolled out nicely on time and then see how testing progresses um if they have any issues or whatever or things to resolve um they've also uh of note and you can read this in a story in sports car 365 is um, they've taken some of their gt drivers out for a test in an lmp2 car so looking at sort of ways of integrating their current lineup into prototype racing. And they just decided they'd do it all in one go and send them out of Vallelunga. So plenty of work going on at Ferrari, and uh, hopefully we'll hear more in the very near future from them. Oh, we'll certainly look forward to hearing more about that, and uh, we'll keep you updated on Sportscar 365, where you can find all of your updates for all of the news and more. Uh, And just a reminder, if you do have any Le Mans-related listener questions this week, be sure to post them in the comments section below this episode or take to Twitter and post it using the hashtag AskDoubleStint, and we'll put our heads together uh, to try to answer it to the best of our abilities on our special edition of DoubleStint at Le Mans episodes this week. Don't worry, though, if you have any other non-Le Mans-related questions, we'll still answer them in our regularly scheduled show next week. Let's give you a quick preview of what's coming up. Hyperpole is tomorrow, but before that, we will... We'll see some night running for the first time in practice two. We'll take place at 10 p.m. local time uh, in just a couple hours after qualifying. Everybody has to get their mandatory night running laps in. And this will be interesting, especially for the incredibly large amount of uh, first-time drivers here at Le Mans this year. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't tossed up the exact number, but there, there are some interesting rookies in the field. Um, you know, Dane Cameron, Tristan Vautier, Jack Aitken, Sebastian Ogier. Um, plenty of big names in there who have got some uh, important running to do uh, tonight. Uh, that is Wednesday night at the time of recording. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a session that the, their teams will be keeping a close eye on. Um, also a great chance to sort of see how the conditions have evolved from day into night. If it gives an idea of to what they're going to see um, on Saturday. 
day night when the race is taking place and then uh, on on thursday we've got more track running as you said jonathan hyperpole um which for me is one of my sort of most anticipated sessions of the year now in sports car racing i think it's absolutely fantastic um but we've also got um another evening uh practice session and and the where it's sort of sandwiched two sessions uh, around the side of hyperpole so um plenty more running to come and uh, we'll we'll have the morning to speak to lots of members of the uh, paddock as well as the that growing paddock with more people um showing up to the track so um yeah really exciting day is thursday at le mans and uh, yeah we're looking forward to bringing all of the uh, information to you interestingly though the only rain we've had so far up until this point was the final 20 30 minutes of that qualifying session so anyone that did run has a little bit of data it's not predicted to rain again until the afternoon on sunday during the race so unless the weather decides to be a little bit fickle on us and kind of rain out of the blue uh that'll be it in terms of wet weather data collection so some of the teams may get caught out some may be better prepared than others we'll have to wait and see how that pans out Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm not going to make any predictions, especially as a Brit. I don't think I could get away with that. (laughs) If I say anything, it'll rain. Well, that's it for us on today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. For Daniel Lloyd, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you right back here tomorrow as we bring you more action and updates from the Circuit de la Sarthe on another special edition of Double Stint at Le Mans.